Listening to the Noise Canceling Pod, the podcast about streamlining life, encouraging discourse, and maximizing your mind. Hosted by Frank Boyce and Axel Clark. All right, welcome everybody back to the Noise Canceling Pod. This is episode 22. I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. We're glad to have you here. Uh, back by popular demand, we are doing leadership part two. Or part do. I mean, that was a that was a big trend in the '90s. So I'm I'm gonna go for it. This is leadership part do. <laughs> I didn't think it was gonna come so fast, but uh, we we have a special guest with us who uh, my buddy Ryan Dennis, who uh, went to school with me at the University of Portland, Corrado Hall, and uh, so w- me and him were at a at a wedding a few weeks ago and or a week and a half ago, and he was asking about leadership, and he he. Uh, requested to be on for the leadership part two so here we are we're excited to have you on brian how's it going guys hey uh before before i get into uh, my diatribe on leadership uh inquiring minds want to know a couple things uh first and foremost uh it's been a while frank we want to hold you accountable what's going on with the four minute mall <laughs> Uh, it's it's still going. It's it's still going. I'll I'll be honest. Um, I owe everybody a training update. I owe everybody a, a new mile time, and I I promise to do that on the next episode. I'll have a new mile time update to see how the progress is going. But yeah, it's uh, it. I think you know I've extended my goal. Ninety days. I'm gonna try to do it by the end of this. Year. Is my new <laughs> updated line. Is that uh, is that because uh, or taking taking you longer than you thought? Uh, I would say both, definitely both. Um, you know, there's there's been progress. Uh, you know, when like I said in the first training, you, you know, I, I had some issues with with speed after a lot of marathon training, and, and that back up. And so I think you know both are coming along, but both are definitely coming along slower than I than I expected. Um, but I, I think, you know, maybe the end of the year is realistic and, you know, I, I feel like I'll have given it a good go by then and I'll feel, uh, like a failure if I don't get there, but I'll also feel like I at least gave, gave it my best shot. Nice. All right. So, Hey BD, so you're, uh, we're excited to have you on because me and Frank, Frank has some in- experience in industry, but, uh, at least for me at my experience is all in the military. And so... Uh, we're happy to have you on to talk about you've been in well, corporate America as a, an accountant uh, since leaving yeah. college. So we're interested to hear your perspective on leadership and how uh, people, I guess, leaders are built or mentored in in your experience and uh, and kind of your perspective. So can you give yeah. us a little background of what kind of your what you've done since college and then kind of your experience you've had with leadership? Yeah. So I came up through what's called one of the big four accounting firms, which is, uh, um, which was KPMG. I worked for them for about eight and a half years and I was, uh, one of the people everyone loves to hate. Uh, I was an auditor for about eight and a half years. So, um, I came up actually in a, in a very, I guess I would say similar hierarchical organization, maybe that, that you guys are similar or uh, uh, familiar with. And then subsequent to that, kind of left public accounting and started working in the software industry. Again, um, in um, in the accounting function and finance function. And in the one thing I thought I could add to uh, to what you guys talked about from an overall leadership was... Um, how corporate America views leaders and, and actually sometimes how they don't want leaders. Um, and 
less about my theory behind that, but I think what makes a good leader and some of the differences uh, that may come through corporate America. And so I, I kind of had three points, and um, I'd love your input, uh, both your input from kind of the context that I'm providing and how you view that in, in both your roles. Yeah. So so the first, first thing that I had was uh, from a leadership standpoint – was defining what your intent of being a leader is. And and I, I don't think we often think about uh, what it means to be a leader and and defining for yourself what sort of person you want to be. You know, often we're put into roles. You are a manager, you are a associate, you are, you know, an assistant. Very defined roles. But imbued within each of those, there's actually there needs to be an intent that a leader has in order to be a good leader. So, so what I mean by that is, why are you in this role? Why do you want to take this role? Why do you want to take on the new responsibility that comes for it? And, and the way I think about it really is, is three different ways. You know, is it for you? You know, do you want more money? Do you want to be, you know, engaged with the job on both a personal and professional level? Um, interestingly enough, like, do you, want it, do you want to be a leader for your team? I mean, do you find value on a personal level to like develop people at an individual level and, and watch them grow and succeed? And kind of really esoterically, is it for the company that you work for? And that, that sounds weird to say, but there's people out there in corporate America, software companies up and down the line, you know, you hear these phrases, company man. And, and I think that applies to, to some leaders that you know, they, they define themselves less as a leader or a person, but, but for someone that's driving a corporate message, you know, and almost to the crazy place of, I've seen people get corp tattoos of their companies on themselves, and, and, which is just, which is just outrageous. Um, but that's the sort of leader they are. And that's, you know, that's how they feel they need to express themselves that way. Do you think, that, um, do you think that benefits them as a leader? No, I, I I think it serves to define them internally, um, and, and that's, I guess, what I'm going back to is, is having a clear understanding of what your intent is as a leader. If you are going to be a leader in the organization for the organization's sake, I think permanently marking yourself does that on a very surreal sort of sort of way. Um, and, and I guess why, why I say that the intent is, uh, the intent of your leadership it's because what you should always go back to on a foundational level. Like no one, no one ever says that, you know, I'm a leader. I'm, I want to be a leader for myself. Um, and, and that's almost counterintuitive, but sometimes it's what motivates people. You know, think about people that get motivated to be a leader because they get paid more. And, you know, I, I'd be curious uh, of your thoughts, you know, from, from both of your backgrounds, you know, you're not going to become a millionaire working in the military. So, you know, for as I explained, both of those three kind of intents. Like, how would you think about those in context for for your experiences? Axel. Well, so I would say <laughs> when you talked about people getting like, tattoos of their bosses, it's kind of interesting because, like, okay, in the military, there are people who get tattoos of their service. I wouldn't say of their mm -hmm. like specific organization, but they're grand organization and there's a lot of uh discussion or kind of um work that goes in leaders put in to, to make everyone understand what the air force is about what we're trying to do and so that's one thing that kind of is valued i mean in a way everyone like that's what is told to you is a value um like within the air force so that that's one thing uh i think definitely like from a you're basically trained that to take if you take care of your people like the mission will is going to happen so i think that's kind of like the um the gold standard of of leadership <laughs> but i would say that mm -hmm. not just you definitely see people um doing things to chase rank that's fairly common in the military so looking out for themselves so that uh they can get promoted faster so i think you definitely see all three of those uh i think maybe from a for the company i don't know that pe like a, a company man 
being equivalent to like an Air Force man, like I think that's kind of looked at as uh, not a negative thing, at least in the Air Force. Yeah, and interestingly enough, I, I actually think a lot of times it's looked upon negatively in in the leadership ranks of corporate America. Um, be I, I think the, the selfless sacrifice that often comes with um, at the very high levels of being a leader, like a CEO and CFO, um, it's fantastic for the company, but inside the company as a leader, Interesting enough, I don't think a lot of subordinates and people that report up to that guy that is, you know, working 18 hours a day uh, and, you know, again, going back to what's the intent of the leadership, like, is it for you? Is it for other people? Like, you're going to get more responsiveness from a team as a leader if if truly you are doing it for your team. Right. And and um, and I think I think that's an important kind of theme as I go through some of my other stuff. Um, and we were talking about so so much of what we do in corporate America, and especially in my role in accounting. So, I mean, stepping back, you know, what I'm responsible for is a series of very tactical things uh, that contribute to an overall strategic vision. So, for instance, I have to pay the bills. I have to make sure that, um, you know, our financial reports go out to, to Wall Street. I have to make sure that you know, payroll gets cut. And these, these things happen um, very much on like a, a bi-weekly basis. So as a leader, like I need to motivate people to to think that as they do these very tactical things, I'm there for them and I'm going to help contribute uh, contribute for them. So it's, it's very interesting because the people that are often doing those things are not necessarily at, I, I guess, the level that you're at. But in order for me to do my job and lead at a higher level, I need to make sure that those people um, that work for me at, at a basic level feel like they're being empowered because otherwise I can't do my job. Like, for instance, I could be going into a board meeting tomorrow, and if the person doesn't cut a check to keep the lights on for the building, I'm done. You know, right. and, and that goes back to, to what, we, you know, what we were talking about, which is kind of the weakest link serious like if i don't have a good bottom line person as a leader i might as well forget any strategic vision that i want because the tactical things don't get done then as a team we can't do something you know as a leader we can't do something more strategic yeah do you think the people in your and underneath you do they identify with your group or with the company like what who do you what kind of group do you think they identify with most um i on purpose, as a leader, I've always tried to focus in, um, as a group. I, I've always tried to have a shared vision for the group that I'm leading mm-hmm. and not necessarily the company. Now, certainly the company's direction informs what we do. But I think as a leader, you you will get a lot more input out of, out of um, your team if you are focused on a, on a set of team goals. And it's a lot easier to uh, direct, manage, and, and lead a team that has a common set of goals for a group that still broad brushes, fits inside of, of the strategic direction of the company. And, and I do that, I guess, uh, in my position, I do that because it, it imbues a sense of loyalty without undermining the overall direction of the company. Mm-hmm. And I think, that's a, I think that's a lot easier and, and a lot more um you get a lot more motivation out of your team yeah so when i so when i was deployed i found that it was easier to like as a as a group our job was to handle the contracts on the base but as like an overall entity our air force base was to provide support to different operations in the middle east and like when we were there like it was right when the isis thing was kicking off so like there was all kinds of stuff happening right before our eyes and like it was easier for me to motivate people because they felt like what they were doing mattered and like the day-to-day happenings of that versus like if you're back stateside i think it's harder to motivate people because like your mission is less meaningful from like a wing level or uh wing is like the base level so do you like yeah do you how hard is it to set to connect what you guys are doing 
to the overall success and strategic goals of the company? I, I think it's very hard, um, especially in my group, uh, because inherently accounting is m- much more reactionary, mm-hmm. um, almost almost every role in accounting and to a large degree finance really is reactionary. You, you know, you want to interpret the data and drive business results and hopefully move the business in a certain direction or inform them of what they're doing and, and how that's impacting the organization. Um, but I, but I think it's very tough, you know, especially in a in a profit-driven company where people want to be part of a um, a company that's going places. It's tough to say on a day-to-day basis when you approve that payment to go out to that individual that that's quote making a, an immediate and impactful difference. So, right. so, so from my point of view, I almost completely discount that as that sense of motivation. Now, people mm-hmm. want to work for a company that that they're proud out of that they like coming to work but i think so much of that is is the attitude and approach that you as a leader have um in in instilling a, a sense of ownership to that team how do you think and how, how do you think accounting is viewed in the company by like sales or because one challenge that we have in contracting is that oftentimes people view us as a roadblock like they right. feel like they could go buy this thing themselves faster and so do you run into that problem where uh people don't necessarily view view you as value added and then it makes it hard that makes it twice as hard to connect like make you feel like you're part of the overall corporate company team yeah yeah you know i really resonated with this point last time that you had which is instead of being reactionary um and i'm not sure if it was the leadership um one but one of the previous blogs or excuse me podcasts um it's yeah absolutely I, i mean sales you know they call accounting Doctor No sometimes, right. you know, because it's yeah. it's it's always it's always easiest to say no. But the hard hard thing to do, and and the thing that I've tried to do, similar to what um, you had outlined previously, Axel, is get in front of the team. You know, show them that you're here to collaborate with them as as a as a partner. And and whether that's true or not, and I think that's that's a key point here. You may not necessarily be a partner to them, but you're certainly going to make both of both of your lives easier if you partner together to reach a common goal yeah. right i don't want my books to be wrong you want to close a deal well okay so let's start developing some sort of relationship up front versus have you come to me with with a final result and me say no so i, I think that's that's very important and, and one of the things at least i've tried to teach my team is to focus on the collaboration aspect of of a company you know so it's easy for accounting not to cut a check to not sign a contract and not do any of those things but if you're working with your people ahead of time and that and that goes for outside of the company but also or excuse me outside of the group but also inside the group if you're doing that collaboration you're going to get a hell of a lot more satisfaction and and, and oftentimes you know on a personal and professional level you're going to get a lot more satisfaction if you're doing something a little bit tangential to what you do on a day-to-day basis and and that kind of goes back to what you were saying about you know your team is only as strong as their weakest link, right? Yeah. So pull, pulling people together and, and having collaboration and making sure that they're they're all kind of tracking and, and accountable to each other as well as as just to you the leader. Yeah. And you know that one of the things I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. I guess my my second point it, it will get into this, and I really would like your input on this is understanding the progression of your role and level um, as you quote move up the corporate ladder and and I think this is this is pretty interesting because there's a distinction and almost a common misconception that if you are a manager, you are a leader and and I think those two concepts couldn't be more dramatically divorced from one another. And and especially in corporate America, I guess if I think about the progression of a manager slash leader, you know, oftentimes you come in, you learn the ranks, you're an individual contributor. People see that you do a good job, then you become, you know, one level up the rung. It's, you have oversight over other individual contributors, maybe a handful of those people. And then you move one level up and you're really 
you've got oversight over a particular process. You might be some doing some sort of implementation. And then you get into this level of what I kind of call no man's land and which most people will commonly be referred to as middle management. And, mm. and, and you're really in this spot where you've gotten to this place where you're three, you know, three rungs up on, let's say a five rung ladder and you've gotten there because you've done really fantastic individual tasks and maybe you've done a good job managing, but now almost without any sort of training, you are expected to be a leader when really at best at that point, unless you've got some innate characteristics, you've been an okay manager. And, and that's really, if you think about a lot of people that, you know, are, are mid-level managers for their entire life, they never break through to that next level, which is, you know, kind of enacting strategic goals of the overall company. And, and the reason for that is oftentimes they don't understand the difference between being a manager and being a leader. And, and I think that's, that's super important and, and uh, really necessary if you want to be a leader is to have a self-reflection and understand that, okay, I'm no longer a manager, I am a leader. And then going back to my previous point, like, what's my intent of my leadership? Is it for me, for them? And then start acting. There's nothing wrong with, with being a leader for yourself. I, I, I don't want <laughs> to convey that. But you have to understand, like, how do you want to lead versus manage? And, and I guess I'd be curious because the, the progression that I just described as you go up to kind of the corporate ladder, you know, is that something similar to as you come up through the, the officer ranks or otherwise that, that you consider and then all of a sudden you find yourself in middle management and you're expected to be a leader? So I'll, I'll, I'll jump off on this because I have a slightly different experience than Axel. So I was in the Air Force for five years and, yep. you know, I'll put this in air quotes, no one can see it, but rose up to the rank of captain. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I I got out of the Air Force and uh, transitioned into healthcare contracting. And what was kind of startling was, you know, the progression in, in healthcare is a lot slower. So, you know, where in the military, I may have had one or two promotions since I've gotten out, you know, I've, I'm semi semi in the same level as I was when I got out of the military. And I think, you know, I've had some angst to that, but at the same time there is some some freedom for me instead of worrying about where I'm moving to the next level of kind of sitting back and, and getting to observe a lot of different leaders. So I I think it's been it's been good for me to see, you know, what what really works when people join new teams, when people get promoted. And, you know, one thing that that really stands out when you're talking about those three levels of motivation is, you know, a really good leader will clearly express all three of those to their, their direct subordinates. You know, they'll, they'll say, you know, if you're going to become a leader yourself, like you need to understand what your own personal motivation is. You need to understand where your motivation is for the team in general or our company. And then, mm-hmm. you know, kind of go from there, but it, it they're going to be really good at not just looking at this linear, you know, how can we, pull the team together but you know how can i build these people into what the company actually needs yeah and i i think that's super important frank and and it was kind of my next point but understanding the context of the people on your team and and i i learned this the hard way um so my experience at kpmg is very this linear progression you know you're there for two years you get promoted you're there three more, you get promoted, you're there two more after that, you get promoted, you're there five years and you get promoted. I mean, that's, that's how it works. And if at any point in time, you don't do any of those, you know, you don't meet any of those time frames, th- then you're out. So I, I was that's bred. That's kind of like the military, actually. Yeah. yeah. It's so similar. And, and you know, what's, what's unfortunate about that. And I think as leaders, you have, as leaders, you need to think about this is that you know what? A captain being a captain for their entire life, there may not be anything wrong with that. And and I, I think so many organizations fail to understand. They, they, they progress this Peter principle, which is up or out. And sometimes you move someone up and they go outside of, of what they 
what they're capable of and what they should be doing. So I, I failed. So when I transitioned from KPMG into uh, private accounting, I thought everybody wanted to get promoted. And, mm. and frankly, I, I failed <laughs> my first job when I first got out of public accounting because I was constantly trying to motivate people by, you know, what's next? What are you doing? How do you want to progress? And, and I failed to understand that someone may just want to show up from nine to five five and they could do a damn good job and they can be in that role for the next 20 years and how do you as a leader how do you interact in the context of what that person's motivations are um and and i think leaders need to understand that sometimes you need to motivate the kind of the weakest link but you need to motivate that weakest link and then just because this is what you want from progression and otherwise isn't what other people want and it seems intuitive but god i failed massively the first time I, I led a team outside of public accounting. Well, I think you, you need those people that are the steady performers that are going to do the tasks that maybe aren't ex- as exciting and they're just going to go do the repetitive work because like your star performer, they're going to get bored with jobs like that. So I think it's important to realize that like there's definitely a place for people that are the steady, uh, the steady contributors and you need all types of people on your team. Yeah, that's very true. And I, I, I absolutely think it's true. And um, and I think you as a leader need to decide what sort of group you want. Um, I I've seen people, I've seen people in corporate America to where where they basically have these tiger teams where you've got five people that are all rock stars and you're running around putting out fires and that's fun and interesting. But then you try to translate that into a more transactional group like like I lead and it just doesn't work. And, and that's, you know, the, the people on your tiger team, are you guys familiar with that phrase or is that a, yep. F- yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, you know, the people on your tiger team aren't going to be the same people that, you know, show up every day and do a damn fine job at, at a repetitive task. Um, and that's fine, you know, and, and that's really, I guess the context of who you're leading and what the direction is you, you need to, um, you need to push them. So the military is working on overhauling the our personnel system, and that's one thing they're looking at is is modifying the upper out system because, well, for example, like you'll have a lot of pilots that that they only want to fly, and they're they're outstanding pilots. And in the army, there's a position called a warrant officer, and that person is kind of like in between enlisted and officer, and they like do a lot of the flying. And that's all they do their whole career. They just fly, and like that's a per- position for people who just want to do that. Whereas in the Air Force, like at some point, if you're you're going to be a commander and a leader, and for those people that don't want to do that, they just want to fly. Like it becomes a challenge. And and to that point, I, I guess why are they overhauling it? You know, an overhaul to me, and it's very definition. Uh, talks about stripping something down and building it back up when what you just described Axel is incredibly intuitive right and, and maybe that's just through our experience but um, I guess where, where I'm going with that is maybe as a leader you just put a line in the sand and you move forward and and that's a stark difference like even me saying in these things I'm realizing of course, you work for the U.S. government. That's a massive organization. And I work at a company of 600 people where I can make a decision that can ripple through the entire organization super quick. Um, and and I think that that continues to go back maybe to my context of a leader, which is I would tell you, Axel, well, why don't you just do that? And you'd laugh at my face. Whereas, you know, I could make a decision and say, okay, you don't want to go any farther. You're fantastic at that. Let's just do that. And then, you know, what's next? Right. Um, so that, that's that's really kind of the the context argument of the context of your leader leadership. Yeah, and I mean that comes down to understanding, you know, your position, understanding your company and industry, and I think that's why so often you know leadership guidebooks and <clears throat> leadership classes they they can really only go so far, you know, because so much of that is that that feet on the pavement actual experience and what you're doing uh, and sometimes failing that that actually is what <laughs> informs you to become a good leader 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, uh, I think the, the failure that I, that I highlighted before, um, definitely has, has shaped my career subsequent to that. I mean, you know, that was only four years ago, but as a leader, I've definitely cultivated my, um, my style, uh, as a result of result of that. Um, one of the, one of the other things, I guess, from, from me and it keeps on coming back to really the timing, I, I call it the timing of your leadership and the context of your leadership. So we've been doing a lot of conversation even today, um, at my job around, you know, the wartime approach versus the peacetime approach. Mm. And, and that's much more, uh, that's much more meaningful to both of you. Uh, whereas to me in the corporate sense of the word is that you make decisions in a time of quote, uh, peace when you're growing and things are good and you'll fund certain, um, certain things for the business to see if, if they result in something versus war time where you're battening down the hatches you might not be growing as much um you may be you may be tightening up uh, tightening up the reins on corporate spending and and i think timing of the leader that you need at that point is very important and i think corporations oftentimes don't understand or don't pivot quickly enough so by that i mean somewhat a very effusive ceo may be a wonderful leader uh you know, when a company is doing well, they're succeeding in the market, everything's going fine, they're motivating their employees and everything is great, where when the market then shifts, that effusive leader that needs to make very quick and immediate decisions may not be, quote, the wartime leader that you need. And yeah, yeah. and oftentimes, yeah, go ahead, Axel. Well, I was just going to say, I think the mark of a very effective leader is someone that can somewhat pivot like change their leadership style based on the situation but something as extreme as what you're talking about i think you're right it's it is almost impossible for a leader to go from one extreme to the other so really there's probably like a small a relatively small band of how you can change your leadership style based on the situation and the people working for you and if like if it's not the right situation for your style then you might be in trouble yeah, I mean, I, I think in trouble is one thing, and I think as a leader sometimes, especially in a corporate sense, you have to understand when you're not the right person for it. I think most leaders that we think of at, at the in the C-suite are there, and, and they've clawed and busted their ass to get to that point. Um, and even when they know that the, the corporation has changed its tact and they can no longer be the peacetime leader and they need to be the wartime leader, they will hold on. And, and sometimes to their detriment, like you said, in trouble. But I think they're smart enough to get to their positions um, that they know that they might not, not might not be the right fit. But I've seen in, in my experience, people try to pivot from one to the other. And it hasn't been overly successful because they're trying to be effectively something, something they're not. Right. And I think yeah. a good leader will identify that and, and move on. Yeah, interesting. Well, and I think, you know, back to your point of when you're talking about someone transitioning from one level to the next, um, it's kind of the same thing, right? Where they're, like Axel is saying, there's this band of almost like receptiveness within the employees where they're like, oh, who's this guy all of a sudden acting like he's the CEO? You know, like you, you need to stay somewhat within the same level of behavior as you've demonstrated in your previous position. And, and likewise, you know, if, if you're this calm CEO, very level-handed, and all of a sudden start making erratic decisions, you know, even if they're they're warranted based on the circumstance, it, it may not even be received well, and people will just be like, this guy's freaking out and losing his mind. Hmm. So let me let me mind that point a little bit, Frank. So so if even even if it's the right decision and you know an even-handed ceo then uh suddenly takes a more erratic approach given you know let's say the market conditions of their company change um do you think that impacts do you think purely on that that would impact the perception of of their team or the their company as who they are as a leader from a from a judgmental standpoint yeah i mean i think the psychological aspect is really important when 
like I said, going back to when someone gets like promoted from within a group and then is all of a sudden the manager um, of that peer group almost, where they, they need to <laughs> be very careful in how they portray themselves because those people are, are from the within that group are going to project a lot of things onto that leader. And, yeah. and likewise, you know, the expectations of a CEO and, you know, what he said in the past and how he's built up the company to all of a sudden kind of go back and say, well, we're doing all these things wrong or we need to do all these things differently is, you know, it's either going to erode their trust or bring about fear or something within their own, their own schema for what their CEO should be acting like. Uh, you know, some some red flashing lights are going to be going, some warning lights are going to be going off in their head, even if, like I said, even if it's the right choice and the right time to pivot, it's still going to be such a such a psychological shift for them that it's going to be hard for a lot of people to accept unless their mind is very similar to that CEO's. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that's that's right, because you, um, especially from a from a head of a company standpoint, we often associate, you know, for instance, I think Jamie Dimon, uh, I think he leads one of the big investment banks. I can't even remember at this point. But when I hear his name, I think of of the company that he works for. I think it's Morgan Stanley or City. But, you know, that's 20, 30,000 employees. And I think of him, you know, and, and that person comes to embody that company. And I don't even work for that company. So, think about the ethos of, of a corporate culture, often that's that's hung on the mantle of the CEO and where that CEO starts changing and whipsawing around. I, I think you're exactly right that, that 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 has a dramatic impact on the employee base. The uh, the other item I guess I wanted to cover on on that point is is at a leader, you know, at a much higher level than even myself, um, you you need to understand that that you are that person. You know, in my example of Jamie Dimon, you know, I, I think of him a, as a company. Um, you you are certainly the chief executive, or you are a leader in corporate America, but but you become the company, like in, in the eyes in the eyes of the employees. Like they're not going to work; they'll go to work for a company, but they'll stay to work for a leader. And, and I think that's important that you understand that, yes, the company defines uh, the success or the, the corporation is going to be defined as a success. But to most individuals that work at the company in disparate locations, you become the face of that. So, for instance, um, oftentimes, you know, I, I talked about this, Axel, where, like, for instance, I lead a group um, and I focus my, my group on objectives for the group, but they, they work at the company. Previously, my previous boss, boss left, and it was less that we worked for for the company that I work for now, and more that we worked for her. And and I think that's important, and, and a lot of le leaders forget about that. They think, well, they're coming to work for my company or otherwise. A lot of times, they, they stay to work for you, and it becomes less relevant if you're shipping widgets you know, saving babies, making software, and more important that they feel like they're inspired to work for you and you become, your your essence becomes the company as well. That's where I think, I think, I think that confidence is kind of an underrated aspect of leadership and that people want to follow someone that is confident in where they're going and you can kind of stand behind and you you feel good about having them as your point person and so i think trust and co like confidence along with trust like those are two very important things and probably i've had it where i've had leaders that were working for me that were a little less confident and that's something that's hard to instill in a person because it's not like they're just making a decision not to be confident you have to like they can want to be confident all they want but really what they have to do is have little individual wins and then that ultimately builds our confidence but i think to your point to like following a leader in my opinion like having a leader that is confident in where the organization is going like that is that's very important do you think a leader by definition can can lack confidence i'm just gonna throw that out there 
they can't. I mean, I I don't know. I'm not saying they don't, but I'm I'm saying like if they're if they're actually a leader, I mean, I feel like they have to have confidence. Yeah, I guess I was just thinking well, you can be a leader and then you can be someone in a leadership position. I guess, okay. but and and the thing is, I I think there's also an element. Sometimes people like sometimes being confident is letting your having the confidence to let your people know that you don't know exactly how this is going to go and and that maybe you need their input so i think like it's not just hey i'm not listening to anyone we i know exactly what we need to do we're going to go do this we're going to make it happen like sometimes it's looking at your people and saying hey we're in a very challenging situation i'm not sure how this is going to work out like having the confidence to tell them the real deal and get inputs from them. So I don't think it's just purely like someone that's confident that knows exactly where they're going. I think confidence is a little more nuanced than that. Oh, I totally agree. It's not just bravado. It's not, right. it's not just, just the spoken word or, or even just a person who can go forward on, on anything and just believe that they're going to be successful. I mean, I think what you said is, is exactly how, a leader needs to be you need to acknowledge your weaknesses you need to <clears throat> acknowledge what could happen and look at the worst case scenarios and instill that that level of confidence and trust in your team to know that you know you're really leaning on them in these difficult times yeah i think bravado can get you halfway and it's better than someone who's extremely weak but it, but it is really only going to get you halfway there and it's it, it's not sustainable Yeah, I, I think um, I, one of the things I do is I try to show my weaknesses more than I probably should. Like not, not for my team to exploit them by any means, <laughs> but, 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 to, uh, but to show them the places that I need them to help me. And, and I think that's, that's important. And I, I don't like bravado, frankly. I, those sorts of leaders aren't pe- leaders that I want to get behind. I want a leader that that will lead me in the right direction, but I want someone to understand their shortcomings and, and acknowledge those and come to, you know, I guess the sum of the parts being greater than the whole, come to the people that are part of their team and say, Hey, I can't do this. I need your help one to get input and two to get it done. And, and I think, I guess that's, that's the way that I instill or try to instill um, ownership of my team in processes, projects, the direction they're taking their teams as well is just saying, I don't got it all. I don't have all the answers. Um, but I think this is what the direction we need to go. And this is where I need you to, you know, fill in the gaps of, of my, um, of what I can do. Yeah. I think along with confidence, authenticity is a hugely underrated aspect of leadership. Yep. Just because, you know, I've had, I've had lots of leaders where, you know, even after a few years, you don't really feel like you've ever gotten to know them um, at a remotely personal level. Um, and not that you necessarily need to, but it does give you a different um, different relationship, not in terms of professional, but just in terms of, do I trust this person? Like, do I, if you know a person, it, it makes it much easier to trust them. Uh, one thing I like to circle back to, Axel, your quote on bravado only gets you halfway. Can you say that again and then just add a hashtag Trump at the end? That would, that would, make, my, that would make my week. Dude, but hold on. But he is, he's the exact point. I mean, he's a perfect example of, like, it's kind of like where, I mean, people, it's sad, but people would rather have someone with arrogance than someone who is a weak and timid. And hope, I like, the best case is someone that's in the middle of that who is confident, but like, if they have to have one or the other, they'll take arrogance. Like they want someone who's going to go kick ass. Yeah. 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 I, 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 when I was, when I was writing out the point of like, what's your intent of the, of being a leader? Like, what do you think? I guess it's tough to say politics aside. What do you think the intent of Trump as a leader is like, what, what do you, what do you think? Why is he driving towards wanting to be president? So I think uh, there's a large part of ego. Yeah. He probably, I I don't know if he thought he was actually a legitimate contender, but I'm sure now it's like a huge stroke to his ego to be like, look at me, I'm, look where I'm at. 
And I didn't even try. I'm sure in his mind he's like, I haven't even started trying yet. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I. That's hilarious. Yeah, no, I, I was, I was thinking about that and you know bravado will get you i guess halfway but you're right axel like um i think there's certain people that that will follow you into the fire as a leader you know let's take trump aside but you know tangentially everything i'm saying is subtext of his candidacy but but there there are there are people that will follow you into the fire because uh because you inspire them and and sometimes it, the timing of that inspiration and the and the duration of that inspiration may be very short lived, um, and I think sometimes it's important, like in a crisis state, for instance, like even in, in things that I do, you know, I'll have about three different crises between now and when I release earnings next week, and I will need bravado and I will need people to walk through you know flames for me and that's fine as long as I bring them out the other side yeah I think some t- <laughs> I think we're uh, unfortunately in a situation currently uh, where I don't think there's any other side <laughs> that exists here that scares yeah. the hell out of me so yeah. well so I think it's important to know what your people need and the example that I use is and I this is what I, I saw so like Nick Saban as a football coach when his team is up big, like he, he is just chewing everyone's ass because everyone's like letting down or whatever. But then, if it's at the very end of the game and it's a close game and his team is tense, he is the most calm person on the field. So, like in your situation, you're just describing like if everyone is nervous about how it's going to go, like sometimes that's the time. Like a lot of times in leadership, you kind of almost need to do the exact opposite of what your people are feeling or what their tendency is because that's what they need in that situation yeah and 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 understanding the the immediate context like oftentimes we think a leader is a big strategic focus sometimes it just needs to be what do we need to get done in the next 30 minutes the next four hours the next eight hours the next week and understanding that that's the context that you need to be leading in right now for you and your team and and also you know emotionally as you allude to axel like what <laughs> what sort of emotion or what does your team need right now and i think the Sabin example is a great one of that yeah and i think back to just knowing yourself and knowing how you're going to lead is is really important um especially in those tactical moments like if you if you just have the strategic mindset of you know here's who i'm going to be as a leader and you haven't really thought through what it's going to look like when those those moments of crisis come up uh you're you're most likely going to freeze or or not respond in a way that's very productive but if you really know who you're going to be uh, across the board and know how you know what's going to define you and why you want to be that type of leader i think it's it's a lot easier to you know a respond with consistency and, and b be ready to act in a more decisive way Definitely. So that rounds out all my uh, all my notes as I as I've been thinking about this for you guys. What a what a I, I guess I want to diverge into a different topic if you guys want to take it a different way. Let's do it. We're we're all about indulging, <laughs> indulging <laughs> thought processes here. So please well, continue. I I guess. Um, it it does relate to politics because I've been fortunately or unfortunately watching um, both conventions a lot the past couple weeks. Hey, I just want to let you know that I love dipping my toes into politics. <laughs> um, but but I I think there's there's a couple. You love dipping your toes into politics. What does that even mean? I don't know. It basically means I generally don't try to stay away from politics. <laughs> Oh, I, I thought you meant. I, I thought you meant you like to be completely uninformed and then yeah, like yeah. dabble dabble with an opinion. <laughs> that, that's probably exactly what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I guess less about the politics and more about the context of what we've seen over the past two weeks, and and I want to take what's happened to the Bernie supporters, where they've had a leader that they were fervently behind that suddenly they have almost immediately disconnected themselves from 
So, so they, they have a movement, let's call it right. That was started by a leader. And I want to take that and, and bear with me here and compare that to Ted Cruz and his speech at the RNC, uh, where he decided to effectively go against the leader and, and what sort of what sort of personalities those are and what sort of people those are and, and what they're, I guess, trying to accomplish. So, so one, it's the Bernie movement, which is kind of this organism now and how it's detached itself from its leader. And then two, you've got kind of this lone wolf that has decided to snub its nose at, at the team. And, and as you think about those, I guess those instances, I, I try to bring it back to my own life and my own, upbringing i guess of where i've seen that where you've got a lone wolf like what's that person trying to accomplish and have you guys ever seen that in your in your own life where someone goes against everybody around them and and you know kind of what's the outcome there and i'm talking about a divorce from ted cruz let's not talk about him because he's crazy (laughs) i mean i would say that's pretty rare i mean that that's not it takes a really strong personality to even even kind of consider that. Uh, I'm I'm trying to honestly think back of how many times someone has just so glaringly stood out against uh, the norm. I, not I a lot know. comes to mind. I think it's a bold move that works very rarely, like not very often. It's probably not recommended, particularly if you're unlikable. So mm-hmm. I mean, really, it would have been. This is I really like this topic because it really would have been interesting to see because Cruz is unlikable so his move isn't gonna I don't in my opinion is not gonna do anything in the future but Bernie being very likable like he had the same opportunity to basically do something similar to Cruz and he chose not to it would have been interesting to see what would have happened had he made a move like that I, I think more the reality of the it's the difference of the two movements where one is very populous um and i'm I'm referring to bernie Mm -hmm. um you know it's it's not a difficult message for the base to get fired up about it's it's not ideas that are difficult to wrap your mind around or are difficult to to implement well from from their perspective at least um and so it's it's really easy to to whip people up in that and and they've they've done such a accomplished job and in getting people whipped up that it's just going to keep continuing even without you know the head's been cut off but the the chicken will will still be running around for for quite some time probably till the next election cycle whereas on the on the cruise side you know it's really the opposite you know it's 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 counterintuitive to to trump or not counterintuitive but but counter cultural to to what trump really is I'm going to use air quotes. What he his agenda that he's pushing? Yeah, I I just found it so interesting on 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 day one of the convention. You had people. I, I don't know if they were cruise supporters or not, but people that didn't believe in the direction that that the convention was eventually going to go tried to start something, quell that, and then you have arguably the number two person in the entire process stand up there and probably say what a lot of them wanted. But no one followed him. You know, the organism didn't follow him as a leader, right? They, they didn't move away from what they were eventually going to do. Whereas on the flip side of it, you know, yes, we're talking about two starkly different ideologies, but you've got, I think, a fervency of both parties. Um, and just to see them dramatically react in such different ways, I think is a testament to the type of leader. Like one was just like... One very strongly went against the establishment on his own benefit, and the other went with the establishment almost to his detriment. And um, mm. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if Bernie Sanders will be a household name if he'll be put in the 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 pages of history along with the Ralph Nader's of the world. Um, but but it's it, it's just very interesting to see how both of those two individuals as leaders reacted very differently and their followers almost did the exact opposite thing. Right. I don't know if that's a politics thing or a leadership. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 
it's hard for me to really look at, at Bernie and be like, this man is an incredible leader. Um, you know, obviously his popularity is undeniable and, you know, the, the fervor that he can whip up a crowd into is, is impressive. Um, but at the same time, when, when you're really thinking about it from an, an idea and, you know, what does he really stand for uh, and why people are, are getting behind him, uh, you know, I, I think it's more, it's it's just things that make people feel good and are easy to cheer about. You know, it's less about how well he delivers that message. Yeah. So you think I, anyone? I, I, so you think anyone? I don't. I don't know if, if I agree with that. Like, I don't know that anyone can just go out there and and sell the sell what he was trying to his. I don't know if it's agenda, but his platform. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you're you're right. There there has to be. What's worked for him is his level of authenticity. Right. You know, he he he's been the most authentic candidate, I would say, in in quite some time, in terms of just having very similar opinions for a, a very long time period, you know, decades. Um, so I mean, I think I think people can cling to that as compared to when we see other politicians who are just you know like, how did that poll yesterday? How is that polling today? What's my opinion today? Um, you know, I, th- I think people are definitely drawn to that, but I guess what I'm saying is that's not necessarily leadership or ability. Um, that's that's more he's been placed in this ex- extraordinary situation and and has done well with it. I I, I agree to uh, to a certain extent on that, but you actually came back to one of your points that you raised earlier, and I I think and I hadn't thought about it in the context here is that. You know, he was the most authentic um, person to take up this mantle of, of populism. Um, and I think maybe his, I guess from a leadership standpoint, maybe his followers felt that he suddenly became inauthentic and in, in embracing Hillary Clinton. And that's maybe why, you know, the, the head became detached from the body. Yeah, I mean, because... I would say Cruz is completely inauthentic, and then maybe he That's right. attempted to be authentic at, in the party. And it's like, nah, we're not buying that. Like, you can't just all of a sudden become authentic. Yeah, I think that's right. I really enjoyed you twisting my words back around. I mean, that was a that was a well made point. <laughs> I really, I really like that's definitely true too. That's totally true on on both accounts. Yeah. Well, I got the answer to my question <laughs> I, that I hadn't thought about. So I uh, that was that was good. All right. So any anything else? Any any other comment? I mean, what we we generally try to do is give some space at the end of the podcast for our guests to to bring along any message that they would like to convey to our listeners. Uh, I I think um, if if I were self-reflect on the overall message uh that i was i was trying to get into here is that um understand i guess a little bit from a leadership standpoint but even in a more esoteric sense why why you do things uh you know is it for you is it for for someone else the family or is it for some some higher good and make sure that that that's something that that comes through uh through and everything you do um, and, you know, certainly something that, uh, I guess I wouldn't say, I, I struggle with currently, but on a day-to-day basis, you certainly have to continue to reevaluate in a very real sense to make sure you don't lose yourself in any one, one thing that you're doing. For sure. And I think that goes back to the authenticity thing that we talked yeah. about on a number of occasions that if you don't understand that, it's hard to be authentic. Agreed. Absolutely. Gentlemen, well, with, go ahead, Frank. <laughs> I was going to say, well, with that, that concludes episode 22, Leadership Part Due. Um, Axel, do you think we, we have a part three in us? Dude, there might be a part three. I probably have a couple <laughs> of other notes. I think there may be a part three in the works. So I'm, I'm going to say thanks so much for being here, Brian. It's It's been it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the points, and and like I said, turning my words around that was that was that was a great way to end the podcast. Yeah, I, I like your thoughtfulness. We're definitely going to have to have you back on uh, for another topic. It was it was fun having you on here. 
Gentlemen, uh, I appreciate the invite and uh, look forward to future podcasts. And anytime you need uh, a senior non-political correspondent, <laughs> you let me know. <laughs> Next time on, we'll have a full title for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. Go out there and be an authentic leader. <laughs>